Hello, I'm Dave. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, episode 29. This week we're looking at Camelot. It's known by no other title, which is a rarity. And it was first broadcast on the 1st of December 1973, a Saturday at 8pm. Yes. I quite enjoyed this one. Rob, what were your thoughts? I loved it. You loved it? I loved it. I thought it was really funny. I was was watching this uh, by myself on my laptop in a car park. And I laughed like an idiot for a great portion of this. I really, really enjoyed it. Richard? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a, a very strong episode to, to kick the new series off. And and clearly, I think either the BBC and all the goodies did, because this, this was the third one filmed, uh, but this was swapped with Hospital for Hire in the running order uh, and broadcast first. I could understand that. Yes. We'll, of course, talk about Hospital for Hire in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, this was one that I went into with very, very dim memories. Really? In that I, I remembered, I remembered the basic setup of it, but a lot of the actual specifics were very much. Is that, that gone the story or the, or the gags? The gags. Like I remember that there was an Uncle King Arthur, and they went to a castle, and the town planner did stuff, and there was a torture scene sort of thing. But most of the gags were completely gone from the memory. Most of the uh, filmed inserts completely blank for me. So. Okay. I, I walked into this not expecting a lot, and, and like Europe, I, I didn't laugh probably as much, but I was laughing quite a lot. I was quite pleasantly surprised. This is another one that has gone up in my estimations watching it again for the podcast. So we open up with the goodies uh, having a bit of fun. Bill, I think, is reading Core magazine. Yes, Bill is reading Core comic. Yep. And, and Graham, uh, Graham reads Old Scientist, which is obviously, <laughs> obviously a play on the new scientist. Oh, I didn't pick that up. That's quite clever. And Tim says that he's going to go visit his Uncle King Arthur. Or Arthur King, as it actually says on his, on his biography. There's some very um, funny stuff in there as they go through and they subvert a few jokes like, oh, I suppose she's got a Queen Guinevere. No, that would be silly. She's Queen Doris. <laughs> or the, the Venerable Bede. Yes, that's right. Or Cousin Lancelot. Yes, there's some very funny stuff in there. There's also, I picked up, a mention of the fact the address of Camelot is on Acacia Road, which for broader fans of the goodies is where Banana Man's house Yes, that's right. This is 17 Acacia Road, and this is Eric, a schoolboy who lives an amazing double life. That's correct. When Eric eats a banana, an amazing transfer, etc, etc, etc. So an early Banana Man reference (laughs) in that episode. I had a lot of fun with this. I think it was just a really good setup. And as you say, if this was the first few minutes of a whole new season, it's a pretty fun opening. Well, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, you're right. You go through the whole thing with Uncle King Arthur and they come in and they deliver the letter. Well, there's a bit before, immediately before that where they say about, you know, your uncle's a loony, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the, the, the court staff come in and deliver the letter. And, and I've noted here the looks that Graham Garden is giving when the messenger comes in and reads it. He's just got this look of, what the hell yes. is going on? They keep on cutting back to Graham, don't they? It's yeah. really, really good. It's really, really good. <laughs> Um, and, 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 of course, the whole scene ends with that wonderful bit. You haven't actually visited your uncle, have you? Of course not. He's a raving loony. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, lot, lots of fun. Rob, any thoughts on the opening? Yeah, look, I, I can only agree with you. I, I like how Tim is very formal with the pages who come and make the announcement. You know, he bows and whatever. And then at the end of it, he says, butch off. <laughs> Which I thought undercuts that nicely. It's, it's quite funny. It's it is. Funny. Now, before they go to Camelot, though, we get our first introduction to... The local town planner, 
Yes. Played by Alfie Bass. Now, Alfie Bass, probably better known these days for being a regular in the later series of Are You Being Served? That's right. He plays Mr. Goldberg, who replaced Mr. Granger. He's also been in Moonraker, been in Alfie. He was in Help, the Beatles movie. And got quite a number of little titles here and there. I don't think there's anything one big thing you know uh, for. He, he was probably really well known a bit earlier than the goodies because he was in the Army Game and he was also in the spin-off with Bill Fraser, Boots in Snutch. Oh, okay. I would think probably he, some of his better known stuff. Okay. Certainly though, here we are back to that concept of the big guest actor. Yeah. And and this episode is almost written around Alfie Bass. It is. Well, he was somebody that uh, he was somebody that the goodies, I think Graham in particular, had wanted to work with for a while. That they they had the thing with the just diverging for a second. They had the thing with the guest stars when they started looking at actors they wanted. They would make the formal approaches through the agent. And, of course, they, they wouldn't work out, and they never knew why. And it was because the agents were either thought, this isn't work suitable for, for my client, or they'd ask outrageous sums of money. And, of course, they then hit upon the idea that what they should be doing is actually just, when they saw the person around the, the corridors of the BBC, is just go up and say, look, we've got this bit, do you want to do it? And, and they found a surprising number of people, and that, that's how they got a lot of the big names they've had to this point, is actually just going up to them saying, look, if you've got, if you've got a day, do you want to come in and do this? Right, Okay. Interestingly here, Bill is very happy and indifferent just to sign over Camelot to the um, town planner to be yeah. turned into a freeway. Even though he's actually got absolutely nothing to do with the title on the place. But... No, I, I, did, I did make it out of that later. That the, 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 the idea that legally Bill signing away Camelot would have any standing whatsoever <laughs> is, is quite a ridiculous one, but that's okay. No, no I did have the use. Um, unusually, it's Graham who really is, is the one up in arms about the fact that they might knock it down. Yes, to the point that he takes over Tim's Land of Hope and Glory speech. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think we missed an opportunity there by Graham sort of being cut off. So it'd be interesting to see how that would have worked out. A Graham um, hope and glory speech. It was, but it was it was quite funny to see that subverted and and, and Graham do that. <laughs> says you won't get rid of me. You'll never get rid of me. And they turn on the land of hope and glory. <laughs> oh God! And he's straight out the door. <laughs> so at that point, they do go to Camelot. So they go to Acacia Road and. <laughs> There is a castle. There's a row of nice houses, and then all of a sudden there's a castle. That, do we know whether there's actually a geographic, a street, and then there's a castle? No, it'd, it'd, have, it'd have to be. You'd assume it'd have to be a, yeah. a, a, some it, it, sort it of all-the-skies jump cut. Yeah, if you have a look at the shots, there's very clearly two different shots. Okay. And I think there's one of the castle shots where you can see what is a fake wall sort of defining the, the left boundary of the castle, which is sort of where they, they did it. And it's this, you know, really intriguing, nutty thing about the episode. You're not quite sure if Uncle King Arthur just is a complete loony who's like bought a castle and dresses up in robes, or well, there, there's something people, to it, or I what. I was going to say one of those people who secedes from the nation and leaves us their own, their own little fiefdom. <laughs> How is the Prince of Hut River going? Yeah. <laughs> but they do. They come out in all this medieval gear and then get on the bus to their holiday to Bognor. Yeah. I, I did note that when, as uh, Graham's doing the voiceover, he talks about the royal dog Spot, and the, the audience cheers. Yes, yeah. And I don't. I'm sure that, you're going to elucidate, Richard, but I didn't understand why. Um, I'm not really big on. I'm sorry, I'll read that again, but it's a reference from that. Ah, okay. Okay, I didn't. Um, think that. I think I think when they give lists of people, it's always and their dog Spot. I think is the joke. But uh, yes, there's, there's clearly somebody in the audience, or a couple of people in the audience, who are, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, and they get a yeah, yay. <laughs> 
mentioned. Okay, I didn't, I didn't pick that one. I've listened to quite a few of those. That's quite strange, but there you go. Well, I guess if you're a fan... You oh, know. no, that's yeah. true, that's true. So they go in and take possession, and that leads into a number of medieval gags. Coat of arms joke. Yes. The cod pieces joke. Yes. Surfboard. The surfboard. That was obscure, <laughs> that one. Tim's jester hat that only half works. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of really obvious jokes and puns and whatever in there, but I actually found that that was really, really funny, that bit. It is basically an extended stand-up routine that it, Tim not only gives to us watching, but to the audience, yes. because there is a bit of back and forth. I think there's a, a Joan of Arc steak gag. Yes. yes. Where no one laughs, and he just, just says, well, please yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, twice a night, and you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, well, they did the full Morecambe and Wise routine there with the Give Me Sunshine. And yeah. Yes. It, it, you're right, Rob. It really is kind of just them doing stand-up for a few minutes. Which is different. I, I didn't envisage any of them sort of doing stand-up as such, but... I mean, I'm sure we'll bring this up uh, later with our best gags, but Tim sort of giving the, uh, do you serve sucking pigs, and mate, we serve sucking, and then, you know, <laughs> and the audience just loses it completely. It's just, and then he actually acknowledges an, uh, an audience member who's laughing quite loud, thank yeah. you, sir. So, <laughs> yeah, that, of the episode, that stand-up bit is one of my two favourite. Um, yeah, I, was, I thought that was really, really well done. We then lead into the bit where Graham decides he'll make Camelot a tourist trap. Yes, and gets very excited. <laughs> and then, of course, he succeeds in making Camelot a tourist destination, and in come their first couple of tourists. Yes, there were some interesting gags there. There's, of course, the running gag with the long lens on the camera getting longer and longer yeah. and longer. That actually prefigures Kenny Everett doing something similar in uh, his video show. Remember the gospel singer? Oh, yes, uh, with yes. the big hands, <laughs> brotherly, brotherly love. Yes, brotherly love. <laughs> Which uh, I immediately thought about. Well, there was one with Elton John, I think, where he has this ever-increasing pair of a pair sunglasses. of sunglasses. Yes. Yeah, some fun gags across that bit. This seg- section of inserts was my favourite part of the, the episode, and I liked how the pig or the boar <laughs> appeared in basically every scene. <laughs> on with the pig on well, the, the wild boar. On wheels, on wheels, and that's that's where I was I was laughing. I just I had to re- rewind and, and watch it a couple of times more because it actually links all of them together. Yes. It does. Made me laugh. I think it's probably the bit they cut to the cockfighting ring. Chicken with the boxing gloves on. And the thing is, when the woman starts attacking it, she notices she knocks its tail off one of the. His wings come off. I thought that's wrong. But now the the scene where she's dresses up as. Um, Rapunzel that throws her head down the tower and Graham goes, I think it's Graham goes yeah, to the yeah. and pulls her down. <laughs> pulls her down onto the ground. It's a, it's a collection of really strikingly funny um, I, I, I guess the only thing you have to do is there is a minstrel's gag in there, which ah, yes. we have to call out. But but uh, the rest of it I thought was really funny. There's the witch hunt, the witch ducky. They put her in the stocks and then she obviously comes over, beats the goodies up and they wind up in there themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's a really funny segment. Did um, you note the callback to Hunting Pink? where there's the hunt and Tim comes out in the hunting gear he's got the jodpers on oh it was Uncle Butcher Uncle Butcher yes no I did miss that oh well picked Mm. so here's a callback alright we get then into the goodies taking their takings I think 38 pounds for the day yes or something and then and then Bill has another 40,000 pounds because he's just sold Camelot somehow Bill (laughs) has just sold someone else's property for them Um, now this is a moment there following where the memory cheats because I did remember there being a dragon in this. And I didn't think the dragon was spectacularly good, but my memory of it wasn't the pantomime horse dragon that we actually get. Mm. Yes. And it's, it's much funnier done as a pantomime horse, because obviously it's there, but it's been yeah. faked. 
by the town planner's henchmen. Yeah. But but no, I did think of that as sort of being a sort of a proper dragon sitting up with smoke coming out. No, it was just a pantomime <laughs> horse. horse with a flamethrower mounted in it. <laughs> and then Graham's magic fountain he makes out of the hat. Yes, well, yes. That's what Graham does. Yeah, that's He's right. a scientist. He does science things. But of course, the whole the whole idea being that town planners are uh, mercenary, conniving, manipulative people. And the moment that you vacate, they just take it as um yeah, vacant possession. A vacant possession, which of course he does. <laughs> yes, there's not one but two minstrel jokes in this episode yes. because yes. when Tim gets attacked by the dragon, there there is a second minstrel joke. The blackface thing there. Yes. Yes, but you do have the town planner doing the Black Knight before Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm. But before that, we, of course, lead into the torture chamber. <laughs> yeah, where Tim's so that much of a coward, he's quite happy just to hang around and watch you torture the other two. <laughs> That's right. You get on with torturing them. <laughs> it also has the very clever gag I, I did remember, and it came back to me, of Graham eating the crab that's put in the hat yeah, to torture him. rubber lobster <laughs> put in top of you. It's a, it's a good little showcase for Alfie Bass to run from one, uh, mm. one gag to another, I yes. suppose. Yeah. And Bill being very happy to be stretched on the rack until he's six foot. That's what I've always wanted to be. That's right. And then that leads into the second film sequence. I think, fair to say, the weaker of the two, but still some good stuff in there. Yeah, I agree. I thought the jousting segment was quite... That, that's very well done. One, one thing I did have actually note on the jousting segment, they're now really adept at riding that bike because you watch they take it through that big turn yes. and straight back down. They're now really good at riding the train. To... No, I did note, that, as you say, the, the jousting sequence, particularly the first bit where the it's one shot of Bill being picked up by the joust and there's a car and he's on the back of it, mm. really cleverly done. And then the next one with the three of them are picked up by the jousting lance. Yeah, no, I thought that was quite funny. There's a bit with Excalibur where the guy gets knocked out with a rock. <laughs> yeah, yes, but like so many people, they get it wrong. Excalibur was not the sword in the stone. No, that's it was correct. A, Excalibur was the one given to them by the, by lady, the lady of the lake. lake. So, but of course, everyone assumes it's the sword in the stone, so we'll forgive the goodies for that. But yeah, very well filmed. Well done. I mean, there's a scene also there, just a couple nights I had, I mean, there's a bit with Bill as Woody Woodpecker, and they <laughs> even go down actually dubbing the laugh on. Yeah, that was really annoying, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> And of course, ye secret weapon, <laughs> the giant magnet. Oh, yeah. They use an element from this second segment uh, in the title sequence, don't they? The, uh, the sword in the stone flying up and then coming down. There's, right? there's two bits out yeah, of the, the, the... The sword in the stone coming down is in it. Bill, Bill with the, the helmet oh, yes, dropping. Yep. Yes, Rob, so they end with the magnet, mm. which is a, a nice little device by which to end everything, and then King Arthur comes home. Yes, and everything goes back to normal. Bingo, we're tonight <laughs> and every night. <laughs> Oh, there was a strip club on Saturday or whatever it was. <laughs> That's right. And we, we've spoken before about the gag to end the episode. I thought this was an example of a very good gag that's perfect for the end and actually both funny and comes out of the narrative really, really well. <laughs> this idea that, you know, he is just this crazy guy that's running a bingo hall in his castle. <laughs> so, look, I have to say, I really enjoyed this episode. It's not in my top ten. It's not a classic, but I laughed a lot. And it's It's fun. I enjoyed this one as a, as a kid, and I must admit, I still found it really funny watching it now. I can only agree. I mean, it's a, a lot of it is t- Tim's episode, but there's a, a good amount of material there for the guest uh, star, Alfie Bass. So mm. watching this, uh, like a lot of episodes, it, it all sort of came flooding back to me once I started watching it, and um, this was really funny. It's a great episode to start the season off with. Okay, well, on that note, we'll move into our regular segments. There are no ads in this one. No, so we'll move straight to firsts and tropes. Well, we mentioned that we have our core magazine or core comic 
Yes. Popping up. We, we have not one but two attempts at a patriotic speech. One by Tim, one by Graham straight after. We have yet another one of Tim's crazy relatives. Yes, who again seems to be quite wealthy. <laughs> That's true. Well, they are a book tailor. <laughs> the king book tailor. So, I noticed that Bill Corpses, yet again, uh, he's got a habit of doing that. I think it was when uh, Graham starts playing the lute. So that's quite amusing to see again. And Bogner gets a mention. Yes, another mention. What couldn't they get away with today? Well, we've already spoken about the black and white minstrels. Twice, uh, twice. yes. That was the only thing that I had. I would have thought that Tim slapping the female tourist on the backside couldn't quite get away with No, not not probably now. Barely tame episode, I think. It wasn't edited here, apparently. Okay. So, yeah, no, I think probably quite quite a tame one, I think. Beating a fake chicken up? I think it was a very clearly a fake chicken. Well, I was about to say, given we've uh, made point of laughing at the animal cruelty shown in some of the other episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rob, what was your favourite gag? Well, my favourite gag, as I mentioned before, Tim uh, telling the joke, uh, do you serve sucking pigs, mate? We serve sucking, and then uh, they cut cut him off. I thought that was quite funny. But, I mean, there's a whole... His actual stand-up routine... Look, a lot of it is what we would now call dad humour or something like that but a lot of it's quite funny it is it is and that, that's that's the one I made a note for um, Tim, Tim's jester routine I thought that was really well done yeah okay the gag that I actually went for is the princess falling off the balcony because you you can see that some sort of joke's going to come out of it and I actually thought it was going to be Graham or whoever's climbing and falling down but when she just tumbles off the top <laughs> yes. of the balcony it was unexpected and I, I laughed Far more than I probably should have. Yes, a, exactly. a woman plunging to her death. But the timing was excellent. Very much. Uh, we should probably also just mention where this was filmed. Richard, you've got some information on that? Uh, I have. I, it, it was filmed at, I'm assuming it's pronounced Bodium Castle, which is in East Sussex. For Doctor Who fans, it's the same castle they reused in The King's Demons. That's why it's familiar to me. Yes. It's also an exterior shot, I think, in The Holy Grail as well. Okay. But that would uh, yeah, it's, it's main use. It is a castle they use in The King's Demons. Okay, I, I recognised it. I didn't think I'd been there, but obviously that's where I've seen it. So, gentlemen, it's the opening episode of a series. This, of course, being series four, which is where we have our Where Are the Goodies Now chat. So, where are they now? This comes after Superstar, is that correct? Yes. Yes. So, it's interesting that I thought that Superstar was a little bit edgier than what the goodies are known for. A little bit. A little, a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and that's reflected in the fact that the BBC sort of held it back for a number of months. They did. Now, I don't know whether they were a bit frightened by this. This follow-up episode is, is dialed back a lot. It's, it's safer. It's funny, mm. but it's saw, it, it, the humour that they're displaying is much, much safer. So where they're, they're at, I suppose they're sort of in a bit of a, a holding pattern in, in a way that they sort of touched on an area they could have gone down or warned off and are moving somewhere different. It's interesting you say that because the big point that I had was that across Series 3, we saw them start to really look for the going for the gags and throwing in the puns, throwing in the little one-liners, just making sure that there's always a laugh coming quickly. Whereas in the first couple of series, they seemed a lot happy just to let the plot unfold and, and, and the gags come naturally, whereas they've now started to actively look for the gags. Camelot, I think, takes that to another level, as you said. They're just going to get the audience to laugh again and again and again, and they've really made it a genuinely funny comedy rather than an adventure comedy, yes. which it started off as. So I think that's been the real change, and this is really that humour that we remember. For, for sure. Season four was filmed 
apparently it's the second half of season three. Yes, they had a break in the middle, and there was a, the shenanigans, obviously, with Superstar. And the BBC made a conscious effort just to hold season four back. And there were some production issues in that as well, which we'll get to a bit later in the discussions when we get to later episodes. Season four is really the point where they really start to take off. They, they're now landing really good episodes every week. They're now in the broader public sphere. They've got their appearances in the core comics. They've just had their annual produced around the time this came out. The annual would have been released. They're now starting to move into things like records and we'll start to see more books and things come forward. Season five, I think, is where they hit their absolute peak in terms of their, their public consciousness. Also, we're at a point where they're now starting to be screened overseas. They debuted in New Zealand in September 73, and they debuted here at the end of the year. So this, uh, the screening of season four is roughly commensurate with when they started appearing on Australian TV. Oh, wow. we, we, we obviously only were still only seeing the first two seasons. There, there was, and I'm still doing some work on this, there was a couple of test screenings done in October 73, one of which appears to have been the Playgirls Club. That would have made for an interesting test. <laughs> <laughs> they then took it off for several weeks and then screened it or did a, a longer run of season one and season two episodes over Christmas. The test ones were certainly screened in Sydney and Perth. I found listings for those. It doesn't seem to have happened here in Melbourne, but given it's 1973, there's still a lot of regional variation in Australian TV. Of course. So we are now at the point, of course, where, where, yes, where Australians are starting to see them as well. And I think what we're also starting to see... Up until this season, but I think particularly building across this season, is the, the the real trio that we know and love and the way they work together cements a lot more. And it's interesting that it has taken this long. I mean, we, we don't think of it, but watching these episodes in order, I've been surprised at how long it's taken for that that real trio that we know and the characterisations that we know and the way they bounce off each other, as we know, did take so long to really come together. It's, it's good from the start, but it really starts to click around about here. Mm. The other thing I have got here is, is during season four, and it probably shows also the faith the BBC have in them, because they, they went and spent all the money on the new office, and we talked about that a little while ago. Shortly after filming these couple of episodes, they were commissioned to do The Goodies and the Beanstalk, a 45-minute special entirely shot on film, so quite expensive. They were also, before season four even went to air, I think, or just after season four went to air, they were contracted for another 13 episodes straight away, that they were definitely required, they were definitely going to be part of next year's schedule. So it shows the BBC as well, clearly have got a lot of faith in them and, and clearly are expecting them to keep delivering. It is, and you see that the more regular and more family-friendly time slots as well mm. coming into play very much around here as well. Mm. And that may be why they begin to start to click now, because they're in a more family-friendly slot, so they can mm. their humour is more broader, I suppose, in a sense, and it's more relatable than something that's in a later slot. And I think they've also made mistakes, and they've learned from those mistakes, and they've had a chance to make them and learn from them. Mm which I think makes a big difference as well. So yeah, we've got some good episodes to come up and then you know, we'll have this discussion again when we reach season five. But next week, we'll be back with a, <laughs> a personal favourite of mine. I'm looking forward to this. We'll be back with Invasion of the Moon Creatures. <laughs> but before that, let's all take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum.
I like to tell a Saxon joke, a Saxon joke. This sacky, this sacky, he went into an inn and he said to the tapster, tapster, he quoth, bring me a goblet of mead. And whilst you're at it, do you serve sucking pigs? And the tapster replied, mate, we serve sucking pigs. That's enough! <laughs>